The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Yesterday we opened the show with the case for Rudy Gobert, and I hope that shined a little bit of light on a player that I think is getting a little bit overlooked. Today, we go back the other direction, and I offer you the case against Trey Young in nine-category leagues. This is, an, this is generally a nine-cat discussion on this podcast. It continues as such today. Currently, Trey has an ADP on Yahoo of 12 and a half which would make a whole lot of sense if no one saw last year. Because last year, Trey Young wasn't close to 12 and a half. Of course, a DM blooping in the background messes up what was going to be a remarkable rant. Really, it was going to be so, it was so much fun. Trey Young in nine category leagues last year was number 20 something? No. 30-something? No. 40-something? Nope. 58. And I know, assists are hard to come by. Especially someone who's a terrific positive impact free throw guy. And scores a, a, a pretty good clip. 25 points per game. But, Trey Young is the is is almost like the magical anomaly of the NBA because he's good in, I would argue, two of the most obvious categories that anybody pays attention to, points and assists. Free throw percent guys don't perhaps don't pay as close attention to. But he's really only near average in two of the remaining six categories. And he is pretty significantly sub-average in the remaining four. You can kind of write off blocks because you're not hoping to get that many out of your point guard. Rebounds, sort of, although, you know, again, point guards that are out there as much as he is, you're hoping they get up and over four, and he's just a a little bit underneath that. Steals, he's only sub-average compared to the league, he's way sub-average compared to other point guards and guards. And then, mentioned three-pointers is actually ever so slightly above average, but not really blowing anybody away. And then, of course, field goal percent was a big negative last year, as was turnovers. And this is, again, why I talk about this from a nine-cap perspective. Eight category, it's a very different beast. He's uh, among the league leaders in turnovers, kind of like Luka. If you turn that category off, the whole board shifts for guys like Trey Young. But today I make you the case against Trey Young, even though Yahoo's pre-rank also has him at number 13. But again, remember, their list isn't built for all league types individually. It is built for all league types collectively. So their list, which has him at 13, pretty much ignores the fact that he's going to be probably in the top three in turnovers in the NBA. And everybody's like, well, I'll get, you know, give up on turnovers. Head-to-head leagues, 
I guess. I mean, if you're punting them, okay, fine. Everybody punts turnovers in head-to-head leagues. You're not alone there. You're going to be fighting in the same shallow pond. That's why Luka is number three. People don't pay attention to turnovers. People don't pay attention to the per- to well free throw percent more than even field goal, I guess. Why is Giannis way up high? It's the free throw thing. Nobody pays attention to it. But I'm not talking about those guys today. That's the obvious one. Trey Young is one where I don't think most fantasy analysts have the gall even to put him where we all know he needs to be, which is that Trey Young is a third rounder. Because on a per game basis, he might get a little bit better. I would hope the field goal percent ticks up from 43.8 to maybe 44.5 or 45, something like that. That's, that's the hope. Free throw, by the way, might come down with the new rules this year. But scoring isn't changing much. Assists, maybe do they tick up a tiny bit? I don't know. Maybe they stay the same. Rebounding, that's going to stay the same. Threes will probably stay the same. I don't see his shot profile changing all that much. So how exactly is this dude who now has help on the Hawks? Bogdan Bogdanovich is help. DeAndre Hunter's getting better. Cam Reddish is healthy. John Collins is back. Kevin Herter does some stuff. I know Trey's the guy there. He took almost 18 shots a game, but 18 is not 21. The Trey Young we wanted in 9-cat to turn that corner was a Trey Young taking another three shots a game, getting another one and a half assists per game. A guy that was more like a 30 and 10 guy instead of a 25 and 9 guy. It's a big difference. This dude, I... He goes that early because we all feel like he should go that early. And I didn't give Katrin a hard enough time on this. I should have, I should have picked on Mike because I actually really liked a lot of his picks. I loved Beal in the first. I liked his Nurk, loved JV, Healed, Bay. I thought a lot of those picks were really good. So this would have been more perhaps my opportunity to, to dig in a little bit in 9-cat because I really don't think it makes sense. And then you can make the argument, well, you know, what if he plays in every single ball game? Basically, that guy last year was Rob Covington. He was right around number 50, and he played in basically every single ball game. And so he came in at number 20 by totals. Okay. All right. That gets you close. But what are the odds that anybody in the NBA plays all but two of their games this year? What are the odds that anybody in the NBA plays like 96 percent of their basketball games it's extraordinarily low there's like two guys in the whole league where i look at them and i'm like yeah you can probably handicap them to play in about 95 percent of their games one of them is bam out of bio and the other one is i don't know somebody i'm sure there's someone i just don't know who it is everybody else is gonna miss games including trey young who is actually really durable. I think in general, this is like, he's a 10th category kind of guy. And even last year where a lot of stuff went wrong, he still managed to only miss nine games. And that boosted him by totals up to number 38. But 38 is not 13 where he's going. Trey Young, in my estimation, is a third rounder. Maybe an early third rounder in the 25 to 30 range, because I think he probably plays more than 73 games this year. I bet he's probably about 76. Because again, he plays through stuff. And if he could have played through that ankle thing, he would have. I mean, he came back and he played on it, frankly. At the end of the regular season, he had another one in the postseason. 
these things happen. Hopefully they won't continue to happen. But again, drafting him at 13, that's that's lofty, man. You have to, even if you're extraordinarily durable, to get to that 10 to 20 range, or or we could even say the 10 to 15 range, you pretty much have to do what Julius Randle and Mikhail Bridges did last year. They're the examples of someone that got there by totals. Randall was a number was right around number 40. Bridges was right behind, about two slots back. Those guys played every game last year and managed to get inside the top 15. Which means that not only would Trey Young have to play in every single ball game, but he also needs to jump almost two rounds on a per-game basis, and I just don't see how that happens. I think there is, in my estimation, a smaller than 5% chance that Trey Young hits his ADP this year. I don't think he gets that close, frankly, but there is a 5% chance he gets there, and I would say maybe like a 25% chance he gets remotely close, meaning you drafted him at 12, 13, 14, 15, he ends up at like 20. I think that's more like a best-case scenario, and he'll never fall that far in a nine-category league. So today, I hopefully... I'm able to convince you here with, with again, mostly a math discussion. 25, 4, and 9.5. Two threes, under a steal, low field goal percent, good free throw, terrible turnovers. What do you all see changing for him this year for the better? The only category I look at and think, okay, this could get better in a way that's not just a random fluctuation is field goal percent because he's not a big steals guy. 0.8 is not about to become 1.3. It could get as high as 1. That's helpful. There's also the chance that with people around him that are now getting better around him, you might see his usage dip even a little bit more, and you might see free throws come down because of the rule change. I think Trey Young finishes around number f- between 50 and 60 on a per-game basis, again, because last year wasn't a bad season for him. This is what they needed him to do. Atlanta wants to win. They don't want to just be the Trey Young show. Will he have some eye-popping individual ball games? You're damn right he will. But we're looking at a whole season. Durable? Yes. Per game? No. Not close. Don't do it in 9-cat and thank me later. Welcome to the show. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. I hope you guys are enjoying this weird thing I've started at the beginning of the podcast. Again, this is only going to get us basically through draft season, and then we'll uh, switch up the format again. I'm your host, Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Please do follow me on Twitter. I will be grateful. I promise I will be grateful. We will continue to do fun things over on Twitter. We got polls. We got tweet storms. It's where I get instant stuff out to you guys by the way it'll be more important to follow me on twitter when the regular season starts because they're gonna be stuff there's gonna be things that happen in the moment where we're gonna want to know what to do and that's where you can get it. you don't have to wait for the podcast to come out the next morning you can just google dan from hoop ball easy to find me that way again it's at dan Bespers on twitter this is a hoop ball presentation hoop-ball.com the website at hoop ball fantasy is the twitter feed and i will remind all of you guys the Brewski 150 is going into the Fantasy Pass just three days from today. It's on Saturday at 12.01 a.m. So as soon as the clock turns Pacific time, Fantasy Passers get access to the Brewski 150. Fantasy Passers get access to the Brewski 150 
in three days. It's just $5.99 a month for the Fantasy Pass. You're locked in for the year. Not the year, the season. Sorry, you're not in for 12 months. Um, and it's just fantastic. You've got projections. You'll have the B-150 in three days. You've got live shows. You've got Discord access if you want to hang out with me. And by the way, I should throw this out there. If you have a subscription right now to anything, if you have the B-150, if you have the Draft Guide, if you have the Fantasy Pass, Hoopball 360, we also have bundling now where you can get two packages at the same time. Old school bundle, like that is gambling and, and full season fantasy. We have DFS and full season bundled in a way. Hit me up. Let me get you guys into the Discord so you can hang out with the hoopball analysts. Hoop-ball.com. Click on the premium tab. Go get something. And uh, you'll thank me later. You'll thank me later. We really do at Hoopball have the best access to the analysts of anywhere on the internet. And you get that one-on-one attention with these subscriptions in Discord. Super cool. You can also hit me up at Dan Vespers if you want to join a Hoopball League waiting list. Last call, man. That draft is about to start. Last call. Get on the wait list. Even a worst-case scenario, you'll get an email when we open them up next year. Or if you want to come work for us here at the Hoob, you can hit me up that way as well. Or email teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com for any of the above things. If you have any questions about our various subscriptions, hoopball leagues, recruiting, whatever, you can email teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Really fun discussion coming up here on today's show. Starts with another player that I've actually already talked about at the front end of a podcast. And it just so happens, the gentleman who drafted said player in our nine-category mock draft has something to say about it. I'm just jumping right into this. Matt Lawson, defend yourself. Apparently, I launched a diss track at you earlier this or last week, I guess. <laughs> How you doing, man? Dan, thank you for having me. Uh, what, what a joy to be on here. And thanks for having me in this mock draft. But I have to say, yeah, I have a bone to pick with you. Uh, you spent, I think, around 15 minutes of last Friday's show before Brewski came on uh, launching into my pick of OG Ananobi, and, and I'm just here to defend OG Ananobi's honor. If we get to anything else today, that's that's great, but uh, really, that's my primary purpose of being here today. Yeah, so, you know, the funny thing is, and, and I hope people realize that we're always just sort of like half messing around in the fantasy world. Everybody wants to have beef, and there was once upon a time, there was like a beef in fantasy, and I think that's pretty much gone now. So it's just this happy land of rainbows. But I, I think one of the, like, to me, the interesting part of the OG thing, by the way, uh, th- this is Matt Lawson. You can follow him on Twitter at NBA Dynasty ADP. You know how much I love ADPs. Um, is that we actually agree generally on what OG is capable of. And then my, you, you, you refer to it as a diss track on Twitter with just a, terrific uh gif involved and is how do we make sure we get him without maxing him out and and we're going to go through your team here and we'll go through the team relatively quickly because i think you know there's more to dive into than just the names on the sheet and and this is maybe the most interesting one you took him at 38 if i'm remembering that right which feels like we're getting really close to the ceiling i take it you feel there's a little more room there i definitely do and you know you got to start out with the fundamentals here uh, last year og Ananobi was number 35 per game obviously much lower that in the, than that in totals uh thanks to a 
health and safety protocols stint and also the Raptors just deciding that they were going to collect as many lottery balls as possible at the end of the season. Uh, but when you look at OG, this was his age 23 season. He's putting up number 35 per game production uh, in his age 23 season in nine cat. And when you dig a little bit deeper on him, you realize that there is upside for this season because we saw what happened when Kyle Lowry was out late last year. The Raptors changed OG Ananobi's role. He went from lower usage, you know, kind of more of a defensive player, just taking some threes on offense, to a guy who had the ball in his hands, was creating offense, and saw his usage jump pretty significantly during that period of time without losing his scoring efficiency. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to talk about preseason basketball, uh, all caveats apply. But if you watched him in the Raptors first preseason game, you saw that higher usage OG Ananobi again, creeping into that, you know, low 20s in usage, as opposed to being in the teens where he's lived th through most of his career. So I, we're talking about a guy who's going to be 24 years old this year, and he is just now starting to unlock new levels of his game that are going to be able to take that fantasy profile that we already know and love, you know, strong percentages, great steals, solid blocks. And now we're going to be adding on some of those other categories on top of it. I think there's incredible potential here. And if you're taking him in the fourth round, you're already getting him around the per game production that we saw last year. I guess I'll just come right out and ask, when when are we maxing him out then? Well, I think that the the realistic expectation for a guy who's going to be 24 is that he's going to be able to produce a similar season to his prior season. So we're talking about number 35 per game production. This is a guy who played nearly every single game the year before last. Had a little bit of a snake bitten season last year, but there's no injury issues, no load management concerns with OG or reason to think that he's not going to play a significant number of games this year. So I think once you get into the fourth round, you're you're still in a territory where you're getting the level of production you need from a fourth round player, but you're also looking at potential upside because you have a young player who's also expanding into a larger usage role this year, which could push him up significantly higher than we're seeing him before. Now, I'm not taking OG in the third round. I think there are just too many layups in that area, too many safe, great players to be able to do it. But I think he's a great fourth round pick. I think you can get him there because if you're looking at Yahoo right now, even though they've moved his pre-rank down to number 44, OG's ADP has come up a little bit, but it's at 54.6 now. So that's still 10 slots behind that pre-rank. I think you're going to be able to safely get him in the fourth round, even in the back of it. And you're still going to have a potential for quite a bit of profit. Yeah, that's my next question is how much do we believe the Yahoo ADP? This is, you know, we're working off an industry mock, which can be a little bit deceiving. If there's a guy that a, a bunch of people in fantasy are looking at, then there's this this sort of this constant tugging on that rope and they just keep moving earlier and earlier. Is this a situation you think where if you drafted uh, now, I should say now, I don't know exactly what day this segment is going to air. So now is a, is a vague term, but let's say this week versus even one week from now, he might go another five or six slots earlier in a week. How do you balance? Like, do you, would you consider trying to move a draft up for something like this? Or do you just kind of let the chips fall where they may and hope that Yahoo public leagues or, you know, less industry-ish leagues, his ADP does stick in the 50s. 
Yeah, this is a unique quirk of Yahoo ADP because you can usually tell whether that the ADP rising is driven by auto drafters, people who disappear from their drafts, whether in mock drafts or otherwise, or if it's driven by real life human beings who are really excited about a player. Now, when a pre-rank goes up, you usually see if there is hype around that player, that ADP shoots straight up to at least that pre-rank, if not higher. Here, we have not really seen that. And I've been tracking this week over week with OG to be able to see how much it's going up. He was in the upper 50s at the time that they moved his pre-rank, and he's only moved down to the mid-50s now. So that's going to be, be some weight from people just who are on auto draft, who are getting that Yahoo pre-rank at number 44. And I think there's reason to believe that there might be trepidation with OG because he's not a big point scorer. He averaged 15 points per game last year. He bumped that up to 18 when he took on a larger role later in the season during that stretch. But I think a lot of people who play fantasy basketball see that lower point uh, per game total and they say, well, this isn't a guy I'm going to take early on. He doesn't score enough points. And, you know, Dan, you and I know that that's not the way that you win, especially in nine cat roto. So we're going to ignore that. But I think the public at large is still going to be asleep <laughs> on OG because he's not a big bucket getter. Yeah, I hope you're right. I mean, I, like, I hope that's the point that comes across when I'm talking about this. My fear there was, does this thing snowball a little bit? And right now, the answer is maybe we don't I don't know if we completely know yet but I love that you're tracking it because that's exactly what you need to do you need to see where that thing is headed because sometimes the ADP movement on Yaku can almost be a little bit of a lagging indicator where he might be going six slots 10 slots earlier and it hasn't fully been reflected by those most recent drafts kind of pooling in with the rest of the ADP stuff but let's go through your team now that that's the guy I wanted to start with again Talking to the great Matt Lawson. Once again, you can follow him on Twitter at NBA Dynasty ADP. You had the number 11 pick in this Roto draft, and you leaned hard into um, fears <laughs> in the early going, which is can these guys play enough games? I don't think we had. Did we have the Kyrie info yet when this second round happened? I don't think it did. Or did we? No. No, no we okay. did not. Um, so Joel Embiid at 11, uh, which again, like industry stuff, he almost, I don't think he ever makes it to 11 in a regular mock. And then Kyrie at 14, if you had the info on Kyrie, I'm assuming you wouldn't take him at 14 anymore. No, not a chance. I mean, that, <laughs> that, that was an unfortunate uh, result of drafting a little bit too early, which, hey, everyone listening, disclaimer, do not draft early on. Wait until the last week before the regular season because we find out a lot of information that we don't know a month beforehand. Yeah, that would have, I mean, this is a thing where if this was real, that would have basically sunk your team. And that's, that's brutal. You don't want to have that happen on a stroke of bad luck. But what about Embiid at 11? I, listen, I'm like, I'm afraid of Embiid's body as much as the next guy but if he falls to the turn you're actually now dealing with someone that can hit his mark despite the injury stuff last year he was 14 by totals which is not all that far from where you got him at 11 you don't have to convince me on this one as much as you might have thought you would have although i, I am afraid to take a guy in the first round that's never really played you know 80 percent of a season 
Yeah, I, the elephant in the room with Embiid is, of course, the games played. I think that there's a realistic case to be able to argue that him playing 60 ga- to 65 games is, you know, something that you can at least hope for, and I think realistically hope for with Embiid. If you look at how Daryl Morey used him last year and how they managed Embiid, they actually let him play in eight back-to-backs last season. But what they do with Embiid is that they sit him often, depending on the opponent that they're playing, will sit him in the game after those back-to-backs to maximize the number of games that he gets to rest around those back-to-back games because the NBA won't let NBA teams play a certain number of games in a certain number of days. So Embiid often gets three or four days off because he sits the game after a back-to-back. We know the Sixers have 13 back-to-backs this year. That means that Embiid is almost definitely going to be sitting those 13 games. But here's the beauty of having Embiid in a Roto Games cap format and why I think he's an excellent pick, especially if you can get him at the back end of the first round. This is one of the first years where when you have Joel Embiid, you have a handcuff behind him that you can play for those games where Embiid is out, who is going to play 30 plus minutes a night and maybe put up top 50 production based on his fantasy profile in recent years. And that's Andre Drummond. You saw it last night in the preseason game that the Sixers played. No Embiid, Drummond puts up stats. We know he can do that. And that's what I ended up doing with this strategy to be able to say, okay, you know, maybe I only get 60 games from Embiid. But if I have 22 games of Andre Drummond playing 30 plus minutes a night, I know that I'm getting quite a player in my center slot for my 82 games between top five-ish production from Embiid for all of his games and then what Drummond brings to the table on the other side. So would you, and you took Drummond in the 12th round, would you advocate if drafting Embiid in a in a games cap roto, would you advocate just taking Drummond at the end and letting him chill on your bench except for those 20-ish games? I think so, just because you you know that when you have those games, you're going to be able to know when they're coming, you're going to be able to put them in, and you know that you're going to be getting starter-level production, a guy that you know could be producing like a fourth or fifth-round pick for you when it's in there. That's extremely rare in the NBA. It just doesn't scale in that direction. You usually can't just know that a guy is going to slot in for the starter when the starter sits and be able to put up that kind of production. It's highly inconsistent. So this is a rare case in Games Cap Roto where I think the strategy makes a lot of sense and can create quite a player for 82 games that you're going to be able to have in that slot. Uh, We're going to jump over Kyrie since there's sort of no point in talking about it. Drew Holiday, you got at the end of the third round. I actually really like that one. I don't know that we need to talk a ton about it. Um, And I want to to focus our time here on the ones that that I think listeners are probably going to be looking at as well. Towards the end of the fifth, DeMar DeRozan. What sort of a hit do you see him taking this year? Big, small, or none? There's definitely going to be a hit. Uh, there's no doubt that Chicago's personnel, uh, their starting lineup, is a lot more talented than what DeRozan was playing with in San Antonio last year. But while I think that he's going to have fewer shot attempts per game, might drop one or two, and he might have less assists, I still think the assist numbers are going to be pretty significant. I mean, we, we have to remember, I mean, he's averaging seven assist, nearly seven assists per game last year with the Spurs. I think that could drop down to six this year. But when you think about the half court for the Chicago Bulls, they don't have a lot of great distributors. Uh, Lonzo Ball is an excellent transition passer. And he, and he can make good passes in the half court as well. But it's not really his role to 
create an advantage against his opponent and then to be able to kick it out to someone else. That's not what Lonzo does. So I think DeMar is going to have a lot of that function on this team still. I think that he's an extremely steady uh, producer when it comes to points, free throw percentage, and I think those assists are still going to be strong as well. So I think you're looking at a top 60-ish performer who has no injury concerns, tends to be someone who tries to play in as many games as possible, and is going to be on a team that's going to be pushing for playoff positioning, and I think really going hard at the end of the year to make sure that they're in the best position as as possible. You got him at 59. Mikel Bridges at 62. That's a fun one, too. Um, isn't he sort of OG Ananobi-like in a lot of ways? Absolutely. I mean, Mikel Bridges is kind of your prototypical nine-cat roto player. The percentages are amazing. You're getting strong steals. The blocks are solid. Low turnovers. It's a lot like the stat set that you're getting from OG. And honestly, I didn't really even need the stat set at this point. But Mikel Bridges <laughs> at 62 in a nine-cat roto, I... I got, I'm, and I'm sorry to say this to all the guys in the draft. You, you can't let him fall that far in this format. And I think this is a case where sometimes we get so locked in on head-to-head leagues because that's what a lot of people play. But in nine-cat roto, McCall Bridges is just such a strong player. I mean, number 11 in totals last year. You can't always guarantee that someone's going to play every single game. But he's certainly someone who's shown durability so far. And he was number 42 per game. So this is getting a young player who showed some additional on-ball abilities during the playoffs last year for the Suns and you're getting him 20 slots behind his per game production uh if this is another case where guys who don't score as many points maybe aren't as flashy uh get perceived as having low upside or or maybe slip a little bit and if you see McCall Bridges falling in your draft you need to gobble him up because at this point he shouldn't be on the board yeah guys that don't score I mean that's really been like I've I've dressed it up on this podcast as an old man squad or whatever joking names we've come up with but that's kind of what it is it's just dudes that don't take 20 shots a night. And so you kind of almost flip the board. Everyone else is is a hunting these guys that shoot and score. And so all the other players that don't end up going around two rounds later than they should be going. The only thing you have to be aware of is do you end up sort of loading up on one type of player more than another? And, and But that's also an easy solve too. You just have to make sure that you're kind of Guys that don't score that are falling are a blend of distributors. Chris Paul is kind of that guy, has been for a couple of years. 3 and D types like Bridges or Ananobi, the Wings. And then there are even some big men you can blend in as guys that just fall a little bit too far for unclear reasons. I think Jonas Valanciunas probably falls into that mix. And I mean, he scored a little bit, but it's not exactly the, the reason someone's going out to get him. Um... Kemba Walker, actually, uh, we can we can go through your next. I, I think pretty much all of your next ones are our <laughs> stuff we want to talk about a little bit. I actually like Kemba. Um, I saw him go at like 115 in a draft recently, and I know that in head to head, ultimately his knees are probably going to explode playing under under Tom Thibodeau. But in roto, like this is a guy who for long stretches in his career was putting up 30 range per game numbers. I don't expect that, but to me, it feels like, and feel free to disagree with me on this, it feels like his per-game floor is like 65, and you got him at 83. And again, in Roto, you kind of want guys that push the ball forward. What was your logic taking him here? And then could you see him falling even farther in, a, in sort of a regular draft? 
I think that's possible. With Kemba, his ADP right now on Yahoo is around 86. So I took him at 83, right around that ADP. But there is a perception with him based on his season last year in Boston where he started the year uh, out because of uh, knee maintenance, then came back, played like Kemba Walker for the most part, was number 61 per game, but then missed some games toward the end of the season, had some more injury maintenance. I think that scared a lot of people away because you kind of had this sandwich where he wasn't really playing at the beginning, wasn't really playing at the end of the regular season, but in the middle looked a lot like Kemba. And that's why I took him here because I think I'm getting per game production well above the level of the draft slot that I'm taking him at. I think that he could play even more minutes this year than he did last year in Boston because that's what Tom Thibodeau does. And this is a nice slot to be able to still get some points and some assists, which becomes so scarce as we continue on through the draft. Once you're starting to get into this no man's land territory, it's difficult to find players who are going to be able to give you production in those categories, who you can really depend on, who you know what the per game numbers are going to look like. And I agree, Kemba has that floor. So in a games cap roto, I know I'm probably going to miss some games here. There's going to come a point where knee soreness is going to hold him out for a while, but I'm going to enjoy the games that he does play. Your next guy at 86 is someone I don't think I've talked about almost at all on this podcast. And the reason for that is I don't know that I have a great feel for what he's going to be when the Hornets team is healthy. And that's Miles Bridges because he looked he looked incredible the second half of last year. But at the same time, like everything got out of his way for that stretch. Gordon Hayward was out. LaMelo was out. There were stretches. I think Devontae Graham was out. But pretty much the only guy that wasn't out was Terry Rozier. And so he had kind of carte blanche, do whatever the hell you want, and he was incredible. Does that confidence carry over? Where does his role settle with uh, all the bodies now healthy around him? So Miles Bridges is one of those gambles where you also feel safe with a floor that you can tolerate. I took him at 86 here. He was number 93 per game last year, which obviously includes that like scorching hot April. And when I say scorching hot, um, you have to see these numbers to believe it. He was scoring 19 points a game, seven rebounds, 2.7 assists, and he was on 51-46-81 shooting splits. So this guy was out of his mind during this stretch. Uh, And of course, this is with everybody missing. But to have when you see a young player like this, have their game scale up in larger minutes and a larger role, and they're able to not only maintain their efficiency, but improve it. That's where you know that there's upside for future seasons. And I think that's still there. I love the environment that he's playing in. Anybody playing with LaMelo Ball, who has the bounce that Miles Bridges does, is just going to get a number of buckets off alley-oops that are going to be able to inflate their stats. I mean, you you can find the highlight reel. These two have a mind meld together. They're going to be creating incredible YouTube clips for years. And I think that Bridges, while you know maybe you're still looking at that guy who's going to be around top 90-ish value, he doesn't make the big leap. There's also the potential that what we saw flashes of late in the season is real, and then you could get in an incredible value. But the thing that makes him a, a solid pick here at this stage of the draft is that it's such a safe, roto-friendly game. I mean, his percentages are so good. It's low turnovers. And you know while he's not a very good steals contributor, I've already taken those in the, at this point in this draft. I'm loaded up on steals. So Miles kind of fit in really nicely and as a puzzle piece at this point of the draft for me yeah he fixed his percentages that was a really cool development for him i'm jumping over your next pick because i've talked plenty on this show about nerland's noel and straight to pick 10 wendell carter jr i'm i'm unsure of the orlando front court and again this is like who cares it's pick 110 if it doesn't work it's not the end of the world 
You think he owns that center job? You think he end up splitting time with Bamba? I mean, eventually Mo's going to get hurt, so that certainly favors Wendell Carter Jr. I'm starting to sour on this dude, though. I don't know if he has it in him to to sort of take that defensive stats leap that it looked like he was going to have uh, coming into the NBA and then has kind of been waning since. So, Dan, I come from the dynasty space in fantasy basketball, obviously do a lot in season long as well. But Wendell Carter Jr. versus Mo Bamba right now is the great schism of the dynasty community. You're on one <laughs> side or the other. And what I will tell you is this. There's something in fantasy analysis called wish casting, where we try to forecast something that we wish would happen. And yes, I wish that Mo Bamba would get huge minutes because, <laughs> oh my gosh, he would be a fantasy extravaganza. He would be amazing. If he was playing 28 minutes a night, everything that people talk about with Robert Williams, we'd be getting all of that. I mean, the per minute production is incredible with Mo Bamba. He is also one of the worst defenders at the center position that has played it in the last three years. And that's why Steve Clifford would never want to play him in a game. And they had to trade away every single center on that team to be able to force Mo Bamba into the lineup. But when we look at this Wendell Carter versus Mo Bamba situation, we need to be able to kind of read the tea leaves and understand what the magic are telling us by what they're doing. So the first thing is that we, what we saw in the offseason, that Wendell Carter Jr. was reported reportedly uh, that the Magic were looking to be able to extend him off of his rookie contract for a $70 million extension. Now, that has not happened, but it was reported. It got out there. We have not that, heard that kind of report with Mo Bamba. So there's a tea leaf. We also know that the Magic traded for Wendell Carter Jr. despite having drafted Bamba a pick before Wendell Carter Jr. in the same NBA draft. So with that trade for Vucevic, they ultimately brought in a center to compete with Bamba, which is not a vote of confidence. And then you look at what actually happened at the end of last year. Carter starts in 19 of his 22 games while playing for the Magic. And there was a clear organizational choice by the Magic to prioritize Carter Jr. over Bamba. The same thing happened in the Magic's first preseason game. Carter Jr. starts. And Bamba last year starts only five games, and those were all games where Wendell Carter did not play. So I agree, Wendell Carter Jr. is not the most exciting fantasy player. But there was a lot of hype around him as a rookie prospect in fantasy circles because people compared his game to Al Horford. He does have some passing ability. His outside shooting confidence was destroyed by Jim Boylan, but that could come back. And at the very <laughs> least, Boylan. what I think you're going to be able to get from Wendell Carter Jr. is a guy who's going to be able to give you strong rebounds, field goal percentage, those traditional big man stats with some blocks. And I think he's going to play the lion's share of the minutes this year. So at this point, at number 110, I needed a center. I think he's going to end up winning out because while he's not a great defender, he's a much better one than Bamba. But deep in my heart, yes, I would love Mo Bamba to take this job and run with it. Yeah, I guess my fear isn't even that Mo Bamba is going to win the job. It's that he's going to get like 22 minutes and then 26 probably isn't quite enough for Wendell Carter. I feel like you need him at 29 to be inside the top 100. You have a different uh, take on the minutes per game here. I'm only harping on this because I really haven't talked much about Wendell Carter Jr. on the show, and I thought this was a good opportunity to dig into him a little bit. Yeah, I, I think that the issue here too, and this is where transactions in the offseason can really tell you a lot about what a team is thinking, is that the Magic also kind of inexplicably signed Robin Lopez to a $5 million deal. Now, $5 million... <laughs> I think we all know it's man. so that he can go to the Disney properties, but yeah. 
<laughs> that's a lot of money to spend at Disney. Robin, I hope you enjoy the five million dollars. And but 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 I can tell you, uh, based on my trips with my kids, it won't go that far. Uh, but when you look at that, it doesn't really make sense as a signing. They're bringing in you know a guy, well you know at the end of his prime, if not past it. Uh, but the idea, based on what we're hearing from Magic Beat reporters, is that the Magic are really focused on making sure that that center position is solid defensively because they want to make sure that they're establishing that going forward with their young players. They have a lot of great defenders as prospects outside of their center position when you're looking at a Chumo Kiki, a Jonathan Isaac. But if you don't have a good center in the NBA, it doesn't really matter what you're dressing it up on defense in front of them. Um, Bamba made some nice rotations in the first preseason game. Maybe he's going to make that big stride. But I'm even a little bit worried that somehow we're going to see some Robin Lopez in there as well if Bamba struggles and the Magic really want to be able to focus on having a solid defense this year as their calling card because it's certainly not going to be their offense. The next player on the list is Josh Giddy, who's a rookie, so I don't know who they are. Tell me who Josh Giddy is. <laughs> it's a good, right, it's a good so, bit, though, right? I can keep this bit going. Well, yeah, and I love it because you just don't have to worry about, about these guys until they enter their sophomore season. So but you're a fantastic. dynasty guy, so this is actually a really good spot for you to talk. You could talk through a redraft. You could talk through a dynasty both, if you'd like. So the great thing about Josh Giddy is that you're looking at a fantasy stat set that looks a lot like a ball brother. And, you know, you know, from seeing Lonzo, from seeing LaMelo, that means that you've got kind of that big point guard who is going to rack up really excellent rebound numbers, strong assist numbers, give you some threes, give you some steals. And we already saw that from Giddy in the first uh, preseason game from the Thunder. Uh, he looked the part immediately. He's got great size. And this is a teenage kid. But the fantasy stat set is so strong that you have to pay attention because he's basically free in Yahoo drafts. His ADP last time I checked was around 140. So you can snag this guy at the end. The Thunder are going to play in big minutes. He's starting the other night. And now you're going to have a guy who could potentially be able to really uh, get those popcorn stats for you and maybe some steals as well just accumulated across playing 30-plus minutes a night. And I have to tell you, when I saw the – and this is a plug, the hoop ball projections for Josh Giddy. Uh, they blew my hair back a little bit. Uh, there's definitely some optimism out there in the fantasy community. And I think he's someone that you should make sure does not leave your draft undrafted. I can legitimately say that I, I don't even know the projection you're talking about. So I'm going to have to look that up after we do the show. <laughs> I don't even know our own, our own site's projections on him. And then Andre Drummond was your last pick. Uh, we talked about him already. Who were... Matt, a couple of the guys that perhaps you were hoping you could get in those last two or three rounds that didn't quite make it to you. Because it seemed like you were targeting Giddy um, as kind of like the fun, I, I guess we can call them sleeper types. I, I know people love that terminology. I, I, I'm giving up on my quest to call it something else. Um, I don't know that the other ones you could call sleepers necessarily. One's a handcuff and then Wendell Carter is is relatively known but uh, who are a couple of guys that maybe somebody snagged right before you here in this draft? Well, there were a few guys that looking back on it in hindsight, I definitely uh, would have strongly considered. And uh, number one was a guy that I mentioned a little bit earlier was Chumo Kiki. Uh, I think that this guy, if we're talking about player comparisons, this is the OG Ananobi starter kit. Yeah, it really uh, is. <laughs> I'm so glad you I mean, brought that up. You're getting, you're getting this guy on the ground floor of what looks like an arc that is going to look a lot like OG Ananobi. And again, he's basically free on Yahoo drafts going at the end. He put up some really strong numbers in an expanded roll down the 
stretch last year for the Magic, and I think he's going to play around 30 minutes a night this year uh, for a team that just needs to be able to have solid players on the floor. You're going to be getting triple one potential, a block, a steal, and a three, and you're not going to be hurting your free throw percentages or, or, or free throw percentage or turnovers. Uh, I really like Chuma at the end of drafts. Chuma was an interesting one because he ended up sitting out, what was the last two, two and a half weeks of the season with an ankle thing? And right before that, he, like the 10 games prior, he was ranked outside the top 100, but only because he was on this really weird stretch where he was shooting 39% from the field and 69% at the free throw line. If you had adjusted those up even to like an average NBA wing, his rank in that stretch jumps to about top 75 on 11 points, four boards, three assists, 2.5 combined defensive stats, one and a half three-pointers. Not a monster number there, but, uh, you know, not terrible. And then only one turnover a game. So there was this weird artificial depression happening with him, and then everybody forgot about it. But he feels central to what they're doing down there. Am I misreading what what Orlando's working on? Because I thought he was kind of their guy at the end of the year. I think that's right. The concern is that the Magic ended up getting an additional lottery pick through the Bucevic trade from the Bulls, and then they took Franz Wagner, Mo Wagner's brother, for a player that you're familiar with. And the, Franz is kind of that same position, a guy who's a, a little too big to be a small forward, um, kind of like Chumo Kiki and also Jonathan Isaac. So there's a perception right now, and it might be fair, that there's a little bit of a logjam there. But I just think Chuma was too good for what he did, and I think he can kind of scale down to a small forward, play next to Isaac. I think that that's going to be what the Magic end up doing a lot of this time. And, and Wagner, he's a rookie. I think he'll be able to get in there, but they're probably going to be more comfortable with playing Okiki early on. Opportunity to do a little plugging here. Again, follow Matt on Twitter at NBA Dynasty ADP. Can you tell folks a little bit about FBI before I let you go? Yeah, so Fantasy Basketball International is our community uh, that we created in the last year for fantasy basketball enthusiasts, either people who love fantasy basketball, play it all the time, or those who want to learn more about it. Uh, we have a Discord server with uh, that's approaching around 1,000 members right now, and we are hosting nearly 50 dynasty leagues at the moment. Holy moly. Um, uh, hundreds of redraft leagues and draft only leagues that are opening constantly. Uh, this is a great hub for conversation about fantasy basketball, about dynasty fantasy basketball, about DFS. Um, and it's free. Uh, we, we just made this to be able to kind of create our own space to be able to host all the leagues uh, that my co-founder and I uh, were a part of. And it's really grown into something fantastic. And it's because fantasy basketball is the international fantasy game. And it is an incredible community of people, as you know, Dan. Uh, we're, we feel really fortunate to uh, have this take off. And if any of you want to be able to join, just uh, reach out to me on my Twitter at NBA Dynasty ADP and we'll get you in there. Yeah, you can also hear Matt, by the way. Guesting on our Dynasty show here at Hoop Ball with Rhett and Travis. That's punt intended. You guys had uh, a couple of Dynasty board comparison shows. I actually can see numbers behind these things. And the second one you guys did is the most listened to episode in the early life of uh, of that new show. So very cool stuff. Uh, Matt, you have you have a great mind for this. Can we do this again soon? I would love to, uh, though I will have to ask that next time you don't have to have me follow up behind Matt Straup and Matt Smith. <laughs> Being the third Matt of that group was a tough act to follow. Uh, I did my best, Dan. Thank you for having me on. It was a pleasure. We've Yeah, we've stockpiled Matts in the fantasy community, and I don't know. I mean, you might need to start going by something else. I don't know what we're going to do about this. We'll, we'll talk it through. 
I people just call me old man at this point, but I think it might be the only Dan. Is there another Dan floating around? I don't know how that I happened. Think it's just you. Yeah, just me. We got Mike's and Matt's though. But you know what? You're a good one, man. You can you can stay mad. I'll allow it. He's uh, Matt Lawson at NBA Dynasty ADP. Thanks again, dude. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Dan. That dude's a natural, man. That dude is a damn natural. Said he hasn't done a whole lot of podcasting before. I'm not sure that I believe it. It's also possible that anybody who has a really good connection and a nice microphone. I just, I don't know. It, it touches my heart when somebody sounds good on a pod. I'm a little bit of an audiophile. Big thanks to Matt Lawson for, I think, a really cool discussion. I hope you guys took some stuff away from that as well. Uh, he had an interesting team, and there were some nuggets in there that I don't think we had talked about on the show. I don't know that I'd even really considered to this point. And, uh, and he brought them up, and that is why we do this stretch of shows. We talk to other people because other people have good ideas. You don't want to just hang out in your one little room yelling into a mirror, which for me is like yelling into a funhouse mirror. Yes, my life is a clown show, but we make it. We make it along. Uh, again, reminder, everybody, you can follow Matt on Twitter at NBA Dynasty ADP. I am at Dan Bespris. The big things once again. Uh, get a fantasy pass or any other hoopball subscription or whatever it is you get at hoopball, and then hit me up to get into the Discord. Or if you already have one, do that. Bug me if you'd like to get into hoopball league, or if you want to work with us here at hoopball. And one thing I forgot to ask earlier in the show: again, please subscribe to the podcast, and if you have a moment, drop a five star review on it. I've been really working hard. I've been also trying really hard uh, to improve the front end of shows. I've taken your constructive feedback. And I hope that you guys appreciate that as well. Uh, It's kind of a pain in the butt to figure out where the reviews go. But if I could indulge myself for a moment here, if you're on a a mobile device, click on the podcast app and search for Fantasy NBA Today. You can't just, unfortunately, you can't just click into the show you're already listening to. It doesn't, for whatever reason, it doesn't work that way. And that's extremely annoying. Someday they'll fix it, I hope. Search for Fantasy NBA Today. Click on the show title And that will kind of take you to this show's homepage in iTunes, at which point you can scroll to the bottom, and that's where you can leave a a hopefully five-star review if you want to write something funny. I might even read it on air. Uh, And if you're on a computer, it's a little bit easier. You just open up iTunes and click over to the podcast tab. Then do the same thing. Search for Fantasy NBA Today. You click on the show name, not an episode name, uh, but on the computer, there's a little rate and review button, so that's a little bit easier to find. So please do... Please, 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 please do that. I I will be forever grateful. The way more people find us is when you guys say nice things about us and hit that subscribe button. And now I'll leave you alone. I'm going to bug you about this from now, really until opening day, because this is our opportunity to to kind of throw a haymaker leading into the season. And if you like what we're doing, this is how you can show me, because I'm, you know, I'd love if you bought something in HoopBall, but frankly, I'd love it if you subscribe and, and rate and review the podcast even more. This is my little baby project, whatever. Okay, that's it. I don't remember what day it is. It's Wednesday. It's the middle of the week. We are um, under two weeks now from the start of the NBA season. Wow, how the hell did that happen? Well, whatever day it is, I think we just determined it was Wednesday. I hope you guys have a good one. Back tomorrow, Thursday, we'll talk to Josh Millman. And we went into this podcast. By the way, I already recorded that segment with Josh. I know how much fun it is. We did a uh, draft randomizer that... He and I are in together, same league, and you can hear our instant reactions to it, how it turns out.
That's on tomorrow's show. We also break down every single player with an ADP between 20 and 30. Do they belong? You'll find out tomorrow. I'm Dan Vespers for Fantasy NBA Today. Have a wonderful day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. So long, everybody. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.